book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, saving our necks. What happens in your life when you are up against God? What happens if you're not a believer in God, but God clearly reveals himself to you through the life of someone else or through nature itself? The logical answer to these questions is the place of faith in God because of seeing his mighty acts. History is filled or replete with the wonders and marvel of God's power manifesting himself by repeatedly mankind turning to God. But we also see mankind turning from God in the spite of God's graciousness and his power clearly displayed. A Christian is who obedient to God will have a greater effect upon people than a Christian who is disobedient. But even in times of disobedience, God is glorified. Your choice and your pleasing of God is contingent or is based upon your ability, your, is a prerequisite on your level of obedience and submission. Your choice and pleasing of God. If we're going to be pleasing to God, it's I'm all in for doing what God wants me to do. To save your neck, we must leave our own understanding and submit to God's ways. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 10 tonight, Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? Jonah is telling them, he says, Listen, I'm running from God. In the verse just above this, verse 9, he said unto them, I am the Hebrew, I am in Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dried land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried in the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth in the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We're going to talk about how to leave our own understanding and submit to God's ways tonight. Let's pray. Our dear heavenly and gracious Father, I yield this evening to thee, and I need your help as I preach your holy word. I pray that you'd encourage us and strengthen us. I pray that you'd also uh, just challenge our hearts and minds. Father, to just say, I'm going to lean upon your understanding and not my own. God, I pray that we'd be obedient uh, to thee. We need your help. Father, we need your wisdom for life. In all areas and aspects of life, we yield the night to thee. You take over, and we'll thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. We find something interesting here. There was a caustic sailor in verses 4 through 10. The Lord sent out a great wind in the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken, and the mariners were afraid. Jonah runs from God, and in his running from God, God rises up a sea. God essentially throws a door in Jonah's face saying, you're not going this direction. Now, as they 
They begin, every man cried, it says, and cried every man unto his God. And in verse 5, cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down on the side of the ship, sides of the ship. And he lay, was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said to him, what, what meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. I mean, the men, as they row and row and harder they try, they're not making forward progress. The wrath of God upon Jonah for his evil deed is causing a great unrest to the other men. Think about this. If I am in disobedience to God, my disobedience affects other people. Sometimes we think, well, my disobedience doesn't affect anyone. But in this situation, a disobedience, we can think it doesn't affect. But the, the, the reality is it does affect others. When Jonah's caught sleeping, he's spiritually asleep as well. He's void of being of any use to God. And he's not even, and, and here is Jonah, a prophet of the Lord, whom God had used in earlier in his ministry. Jonah had been able to give out a, a glorious message to the people, but now God calls him to give out a terrible message to a terrible people, the Ninevites. And the sailors' minds were blinded to the truths of God. And we understand something as 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, it reads, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Ministry is a very difficult thing. There's times you get weary and tired, and, and the heartaches and the, and the troubles and the struggles of other people wears upon you. Whether you're in ministry full-time or you're in ministry serving in a church, you see the heartaches of other people to whom you reach out to only to many times, some, or some, not many times, but sometimes see them make no progress. But it goes on, the apostle writes, in inspiration of God, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, whose image of God should shine unto them. And here is Jonah, he is no light for God. What does a carnal Christian or a non-Christian do in the face of adversity? We find in verses 5, 7, 8, and 10, the men are all in terror. We understand that the Christian ought not to be, because God hath not given us a spirit of fear, 2 Timothy 1, 7 describes, but of power and love and of a sound mind. The Christian mind in the face of adversity, in the face of struggles and trials and, and uh, hardship, is to not have a spirit of fear. These men begin a self-help method of throwing over weight because they don't want to sink waters coming in. So if I throw overboard what is excess weight, maybe we'll be able to get through this storm. They try a self-help method. Many times humanity's first line of defense is a self-help. To cast out of the ship anything unnecessary. The innate virtue of trusting one's own logic and wisdom. I'll deal with the situation according to as I see fit not realizing that that direction you're going is only bringing you into greater disaster. It's a very, I would say, a very primitive trait of man. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did, Genesis chapter 3. They hid from God and they sowed fig leaves upon themselves. Now, we all have a natural aversion to fear. I don't think any of us like to be afraid. 
Because God is not the author of frantic fear, but rather of a reverential boundary. And God's desire for us is of an adoration and a praises and, and a, a security and trust in Him. But either fear either causes you to stay within the bounds of God's laws or fear will cause you to rebel. How many individuals do you know when things begin to go bad in their life, they, they begin to they run they, they flee. They, they go all different places. And you're like, those are terrible decisions. Why are you making that? They're running in fear. Because they don't understand that there's a God in heaven who is in control. And we can think, we can say, God is the creator. God is almighty. All of these things stick in our mind. We understand them intellectually. But it's the physical and the emotional heart that has to apply an intellectual truth. And until an intellectual truth is applied, faith is an inaction. And fear can cause people to respond in very awkward manners. Some may run to some spiritual source. They say, every, cry to every man unto his God, please help us, please help us, please help us. They're in superstition. They're willing to risk everything to find relief from their fear and pain and loss of life. When I ask you, why do you think so many people get involved with addictive substances or become compulsive workaholics or materialistic, trying to numb a pain, a fear running from problems, trying to buy their way out of a mess, or though none of these methods will ultimately bring a relief? When the, human, when the human method doesn't work, they begin to become, if you would, uh, skeptical of everyone else on board. They interrogate. In verses 7, they make a statement here, and they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. We want to understand which one of the gods is coming upon us. Verses 10 and 11 describe the very same thing. You know, and, and then verse 11, they're talking to Jonah, and Jonah tells them, I, I'm running from God, and they're like, oh, you're the culprit. First principle is to change or to rid oneself of the non-necessities of life. We try our own methods at solving problems. When that doesn't work, we begin to interrogate. We begin to become very critical of others because maybe it's their fault that I'm having the struggles in my life. When we go from a quick fix, there's a turning to, again, of responsibility to someone else as these men are understanding. They, under, they unload heavy items, begin to examine each other, and they begin to cast lots like gambling to see who's the culprit. Now, God is not for that, but nevertheless, in spite of this, and, and their jawing of straws, if you would, that's very similar as the casting of lots, and, and God so allows it that Jonah is the one that takes the short stick. And then the men are like, what have you done? What is thine occupation? What's your job? Early in this voyage, Jonah tells him he's a rebel against God. Take little notice of it. When things are going bad in your life, you begin to evaluate everyone else and problems are all around. 
You question all the people around you and try to determine their motives. Jonah is a loser in this, and the Bible tells us a very sure principle. Look with me in the Bible at Numbers, the book of Numbers. We'll come back to Jonah, but Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. When I don't deal with my fear properly, I begin the self-help method. That doesn't work, so now I begin to interrogate others, and I'm, I'm, I'm just like, something is wrong, and I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing, and there is something wrong. It's got to be your fault, not mine. And these men are like, I don't know what's going on. I'm trying with my God. It's not working. I'm trying with my God. It's not working. And so they finally, they come to the, well, let's cast lots and see if this works. By chance... We'll find out who the culprit is. But the Bible always tells us when there's sin in your lives, we'll look at verse 22 for context. Uh, let's look at verse 20. Moses said unto them, uh, If ye will do this thing, if ye will go armed before the Lord to war, and will go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, this is where. Uh, two and a half of the tribes, they, they stayed east of the Jordan River. And, so we, and, the, and, they, and, and Moses said, if you'll go with us into battle, then, <clears throat> then it'll be okay for you. You can come back to your land, but you can't just settle down here and not help us fight the battle east and west of the Jordan River. The going forth from here, and we'll, go with, and, with, and we'll go all of you armed over Jordan before the Lord until he hath driven out his enemies from before him, and the land be subdued before the Lord, then afterward you shall return and be guiltless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, he wanted to make sure they went to the promised land. They must be willing to go to war and help their brethren. If their desire to set up east of the Jordan is to sit down and be comfortable and not go to war, God will reveal their sin. He'll reveal if they're liars. I want you to understand now, you can sin, but you can't get away with it. You can hide sin in your heart. You can hide for years. Jonah is going away from God's will for his life, and life only gets more difficult. And his disobedience is nearly going to cost the lives of some unsaved people on the same boat. Lost people are skeptical of a rebellious Christian and they'll ask why. A backslidden Christian's testimony will affect others. And in this backslidden state of Jonah, there is a nervousness of letting people know of his own personal sin. You find when Israel was there in the, in the, in the desert and they're, wander, they're traveling towards the promised land. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 3, and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full, for he had brought us forth in this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They can't fix their problem. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're in the wilderness, they're in the desert, they're not in the promised land, and they begin, again, the self-help. Where's food? Food, food, there's no food. Oh, it must be Moses' fault. 
Moses, you're the one that tried to kill us. You're the one. You knew all this was going to happen. We begin to just become a lot of accusations against others. And in your fear, you're skeptical of everyone. You cannot trust. You cannot love. And you can't believe that anyone is genuinely kind. Rather, you think there's some ulterior motive for their kindness. You're not settled. If anything seems good or right as a genuine blessing from God, then it possibly can't happen. Fear is a crippling attitude. And definitely not of God. But Jonah had a lack of care for anyone but himself And it produced a great deal of destruction, a great financial loss. These men are throwing overboard things that cost money. His rebellion is costing money to other people. That's a principle. Christian, if I live in rebellion against God, I'm going to cost others money. I'm going to cost them struggles and trials in their life. Proverbs 9, 6 Forsake the foolish and live and go in the way of understanding. God says, I've got a way for you. The men here have a question that they ask in verse 11 of Jonah 1. What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? Jonah, what do we have to do to you? We don't want to die. The soldier's main focus is what do we have to do to you to stop what's going on? I'm tired of it, Jonah. I don't care what we've got to do, Jonah, but we're going to do something to you to stop this storm. Many times we get this mindset, I'm only going to look out for number one. We forget the necessity, but Jonah was only looking out for himself as well. The whole ship was filled with selfishness. Jonah, the one who had the truth of God, was the very one that was the culprit Matthew 22, 37, Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is likened to it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The, the situation is, Jonah did not love these people. A husband to love his wife as himself, sometimes an endeavor to keep ourselves afloat. We may know that someone is bad to be around, but we try hard because of a heart connection to keep in a relationship with this person. Verses 12 through 13. And he said to them, Take me up and cast me forth in the sea. And then the men, verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. But they could not. The men said, No, 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 we can't throw you overboard. That's suicide. We'll have death on our hands. We'll have blood on our hands. They don't want to be guilty of slaying an innocent person. When the trials of life get hard in your life, you tried the first step of self-help. You tried the second step of interrogating others. Then you just grit your teeth, tighten your, your wrists, and get to rowing through this life with a positive attitude. I'll do it. I'll have a positive attitude. I'll, 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 put on the, I'll pick up my big kid boots, and I'll, I'll move forward the way I need to. I'll just get my act together. But these men lean to their own understanding. As I mentioned this morning in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Any positive attitude is going to wane. It's going to lessen over time as the situation doesn't subside, but you're still in that adverse condition. There's no reprieve in sight. You're stuck in a storm out at sea and not seeing land. These men may have followed, much like you would find today, some advice of some uh, humanistic uh, teachers 
You know what? People, when they're encountering fear and in psychology, they may change, react in fear, they may interrogate or examine, or they may muscle through it in a positive attitude, eat right, sleep right, uh, you know, all these things that can happen. A little illustration for you how to overcome the worst of life's hardship. This is what one secular writer writes. I'm not sure, I'm sure at some point in your life you had to endure some form of hardship. We all have. It could be personal, financial, change. If you decide to willingly change your circumstances, you can. It's just a matter of knowing how. Be forced into change. So what's the process, this is secular, uh, for being able to endure and overcome? You might ask, well, as you probably know, no one process will work for everyone, just as there is usually no quick fix solution for the various hardships that come into your life. There are, however, certain ways you can choose to perceive the realities you're hit with. There's a perception in the eye of the beholder. So if I'm perceiving my life in a negative way, I'm more likely to be going to be dealing with all of the emotions and thoughts that come from that perception. This doesn't mean that you shouldn't want to feel those negative emotions. They are a valuable part of progressing and moving forward, writes this author. Uh, these negative emotions are there so you can overcome them. Enduring, when hit with any kind of hardship, it's difficult to know which types of emotions will surface. One of the worst things you can do, other than hurting yourself or another, of course, is to try to hide or not acknowledge your feelings. To accept your reality, to feel, uh, feel, which is to allow to be feel, and listen, as they would say here, to your higher consciousness. I would say not your higher consciousness, but to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. And then they say overcoming. After you've taken the time to sit back, reflect, and gain clarity on your circumstances, it's time to start moving forward. After all, how can you expect to overcome a challenging situation in your life if you don't move? Find inspiration in your life, strategy, take action. This is what, again, this comes from secular psychology and some New Age doctrines, but there's an emphasis here in listening to one's own heart, but the Bible does not commend us or give us a command to follow one's heart because uh, in, in Romans 1.22, professing themselves to be wise and become fools, and it also says, uh, a man who you know, seeks to discover his own heart is a fool. I'm not trying to discover my heart because the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked, who can know it? I, you know what? I, I know that there's selfishness in my own heart. I know that there is in my own heart a desire to please myself above all others. That's in my heart. I know that. In all of our hearts, in the fleshly heart, and God saw Jonah's heart and why God allows this huge storm to arise. So instead of self-help, instead of interrogation, we begin to move forward into the spiritual. And this is the key to the position and the solution to the problem. In verse 6 we read, so the shipmaster came unto him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Jonah, why are you asleep? Right? Call upon thy God. They, these men, who could be the most materialistic of men, they realize we are up against a force that's much greater than us, and it is impossible to stop the storm we're in. I can't stop it. Many times when people hit rock bottom, they cannot find an answer. The secular professionals clearly are out of answers. Then they resort to the spiritual. I guess your spiritual will have to help you. When the person comes to the point of the spiritual, it's important that they find the truth in the spiritual. And I'd say before you hit rock bottom, it's, the first decision is to go to the Lord. 
We know that the spirit of man, the relationship with God, should not be a last resort. In Psalm 121.1, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. You know, it's commonly reported that there is a saying in war, there are no atheists in a foxhole. And here are some men that they were setting out about life as usual. And in a moment, the sea changed. And now they're going to test the genuineness of their idols on whether they're real or not. The world is looking for answers. Someone who can fix their problems. Someone with whom they can be founded upon. Based on the amount they're willing to yield will determine whether they're willing to call out to God. The truth of Jonah and his occupation is revealed in verse 9. I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Here is Jonah, a Hebrew, who is supposed to be a light bearer of the Lord Jesus, of, of God at this time. Jesus Christ wasn't known, the Messiah, but they knew he was coming. And here is one who is a prophet, a light bearer for the Lord, and yet he says, God, I don't want your will for my life. I'm going to do it my way. You know what? Humanity, all, all humans are born religious. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. There's, why are there, you know, and Satan is okay with religion. He's okay with a multitude of beliefs as long as they don't lead you to the truth of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, verse 19. Romans 1, 19, Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The Bible says, listen, God has showed himself, the invisible things of, the world, uh, thing, visible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. We have an understanding, if you look at the complexity of this world, it doesn't happen just by random chance. The complexity of the human body is so unique and, I mean, there's chemicals in your body, there's things that happen in the world that are so unbelievably complex that they're not just a random chance. Look with me in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. The Bible reads for us. You know what? People are superstitious. Whether it's a rabbit foot, whether it's, you know, knock on wood, no elevators have a 13th floor, don't cross paths with a black cat. All sorts of various superstitions, wives' tales, other things that people partake of, hoping to bring upon them some great, or if people would say, good luck. Realizing that good luck espouses that there is no uh, divine or God who is in control of all. In Acts 17.22 then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. The word superstitious means devout or religious. You have your rituals, your traditions, your ceremonies you partake of to try to bring some goodness towards your direction of your life. 
And that's what these men are trying to do, only to be left empty-handed. All of these ceremonies and rituals and traditions that are not of the Word of God are founded upon a, uh, really, a fallible and fallen human nature. Psalm 119, 89, the very God who made us, he says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Matthew 5, 18, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He's saying every accent mark in the Hebrew uh, is going to be fulfilled exactly as it was written. 1 Peter 1, 25, But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the Gospels preached unto you. The word of the Lord endureth forever. It doesn't change. It's not undoing. It's not, uh, okay, well, it's no longer relevant to this generation. These men are essentially here throwing up their hands to the God of luck. Self-help. And finally, there's a man of God on board but who's in defiance of God. Jonah's sacrifice and ultimately his revealing of his actions of, is of the revelation that is given is of his own selfishness. The predicament is get off the boat. You know what? It's interesting in this uh, <clears throat> passage of Scripture that we're reading, Jonah's not talking to these men about putting their faith in God. He doesn't talk about the one true God of the Hebrews, or the true God of all the world, that these men need to turn from their idols unto the living God. He doesn't talk to them about that. The selfishness of Jonah's life is appalling, but I would have to say many times it would be appalling in our own lives. He doesn't say, put your trust in God, throw me overboard, and the God that I serve, he'll save you. They don't do that. You know when a person is bitter at God, angry at God for some things that have gone on in their life, they're very, they're very many times selfish, unwilling to think about the peril of others around them. All they think about is me, me, me. Because you're struggling and you're hurting. In Jonah's submersion, verses 12 and 15, he says, take me up and cast me forth in the sea. Then in verse 15, so they took up Jonah and cast him forth in the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Jonah is certain that the actions that he must do is throw me overboard. I am the culprit. Get me out. I've got to get away. I need to, God needs to take me back to Nineveh. In fact, he's like, throw me overboard. I'll die, and then I, now I still don't have to go to Nineveh. You know, he's still, I mean, even if he's saying, throw me overboard, I'll die. I'll never go to Nineveh, God. You can't get the best of me. I'm not going to do it. You know, a Christian who's out of the will of God and running from doing what they know they ought to be doing, they will be under the divine hand of God. And the Bible tells us that no chastening is, pre is pleasant or present seem to be joyous. You know when God chastens us? Chastening is a severe form of discipline, and God does severely discipline us when we are in opposition of his will for our lives. Jonah's realization, I would say, step out of faith, but I would also say, 
it also seems, as he's saying, throw me overboard, he's like, I can die, I'll drown in the sea, and I'm done with this nightmare of having to go to Nineveh. Heart was, I mean, Nin, uh, Jonah's heart was stricken. Now, to his credit, I would have to say, the Ninevites were a fierce, vile, wicked, evil, vindictive, I mean, they were just ruthless people. They would, you know, for some, I've mentioned it before, but the Ninevites would literally, while you're alive, they'd cut your skin off you. They'd scalp you. They'd cut your skin and do other things. They were a vile people. And in fact, the Ninevites had even done this to some of Jonah's own countrymen. Some of his own people, the Ninevites, had defiled or killed. I don't want to go there, God. You can, I'd rather die. I'd rather be thrown overboard. But something happens in verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish. Jonah, you're not going to die yet. I still want the Ninevites to hear the gospel. I still want these people are still waiting for you to go. God prepared. Even in spite of the backslidden state of Jonah, God had a plan to get Jonah to present the message to people that were perishing without Christ. And God calls all of us in Romans 12, 1, if you are a born-again believer, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. God, have all of me. Holy means you're, that living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. God is saying, listen, I want all of you in perfection. And God says, you know, that holiness is I am totally given over to the Lord. Look with me at Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Look with me now, down at verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That preacher is a person who's giving out a message. You and I, all of us, whether you are, you're not in full, may not be in full-time ministry, but all of us are preachers or proclaimers of the truths of God. God said, how are people going to know about the truths of a good and loving and caring God unless someone proclaims a message to them? And God, you know, I had one, we were out one time back in Bible college, we were out uh, knocking doors and talking with people, and I came across this guy that was a professor at a Roman Catholic university, a Jesuit university, and we had some good conversations, and he was trying to convince me that the God of the Old Testament was a mean, vindictive, evil God who hated people other than the Jewish people, and the God of the New Testament was a, was a loving God. It was a that's not the truth at all, and, and obviously shows quite a bit of uh, lack of understanding of the scriptures, but nevertheless, Jonah is a prime example of, here's some Gentile believers who were ruthless, evil people with whom God was saying, I don't want them to die. 
I don't want them to die. Here are thousands of people that will perish. The Bible tells us more than 120,000 people there in Nineveh. Jonah chapter 4 verse 11 tells us this. And a final point here, the sailors salute. Notice what happens after verse 16. Then the, after they throw Jonah in, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They realized, uh-oh, Jonah said he was of the Lord. He was of Jehovah. I guess he's the real God. Despite God's still work, despite the rebellion of Jonah. I want you to understand here this evening, there's nothing more powerful than experiencing God's power over either nature or the changing of a human life. When a life is changed, except Christ, and that life is radically changed. They don't think the same. They don't do the same because the Holy Spirit of God has come in and indwelt them and they're now God's. If you're saved young, people don't necessarily see that change, but if you're saved older and there's such a radical change because you've accepted Jesus Christ by faith alone. In Exodus 14, 31, And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. The people saw God get Israel out of Egypt. They said, The Lord, Jehovah, the I Am, the self-existent one, He's the real one. In 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 15, Naaman was a Syrian, a captain. He was another Gentile whom God saved. And Naaman, went, he was, had leprosy, and he went into the... Elijah told him, or Elisha, excuse me, Elisha told him, go get in the river, uh, Jordan, seven times, dip yourself, and you'll be clean. He didn't want to do it. He did it, and then he, he came back to Elisha, and he said, oh my, your God's the real God. These men saw God do something when God stilled the storm. You see, our first reaction so many times is to fear. But what God's desire is to fear the Lord. I fear the situation, God says, fear me. I have a respect and a reverence and understanding I'm in control. The second reaction is a sacrifice to the Lord. These men, they feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Number one, they, they took a fear of the storm and they took that fear and they begin to put it under the Almighty God saying He is the true and Almighty God. Number two, we find in verse 16, they offered a sacrifice. They just want a realization. Man, we just want to praise and thank Him that He's in control. And the third reaction, positive, after Jonah was thrown overboard, they made vows. It's like an individual after salvation they get baptized and join a New Testament church and make a vow, I'm going to serve Jesus. We don't know if these men necessarily abandoned their gods, but they were serious. They realized that God of Jonah, he's the real deal. In conclusion, God is clearly seen in creation and through the lives of believers. But in order for a believer to many times be used, that believer has to go through, I would say, a storm of life or many storms. Because you're not willing to just settle the issue that God is in control and I'm going to follow him. God will chastise, God will severely discipline you to get you to wake up and say, listen, just do it my way. 
He's a very powerful God. It's much easier to run to Him for help and assistance than it is to try a self-help method, than it is to interrogate others to find out who's the culprit. To truly save our necks, I've got to come to God for saving from His hand of judgment upon all of my wicked deeds. And in His mercy, God shows us His might and power through changed lives. I mean, when God got a hold of my grandparents and God got a hold of other lives that I've seen God do a work, the light of the countenance of Christ changed them. There was a point in time in their life they were born again spiritually they were re if you want to think born again there's born again is your spirit you physically are born to your mother at one point in time in the past whatever date that was there's a date in time in your life where you physically or you spiritually come a recognition that between God and I I'm dead to God because I've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ and out of simple faith I realize that Jesus is the only way to God I ask him to forgive me of all my sins I ask him before God's judgment hall if you're thinking about a court room to forgive me of all my sins I allow Jesus's sacrifice to substitute for all of my sin an innocent life for a guilty life and I ask him to forgive me and spiritually I, it talks about in scripture being quickened that means brought to life it means my, what that means is brought to life now God and I can have a relationship but before I'm born again I can't have that relationship because my spirit is dead to God. Because I'm still in sin. I'm still under the rule of Satan. I'm still under my own selfish, uh, judged heart. But when I'm asked Christ to forgive me my sins, I'm born again. And now I can have that reconciliation much like Adam and Eve. When they sinned and they put clothes on themselves, they tried to do it their own way. Eventually God would kill an animal, a picture of what Christ did on the cross, an innocent life for a guilty life. My guilty life for Christ. Christ's innocent life and his innocent life paid for my guilty life of all my sins. And I'm born again. My spirit comes to life and now God and my spirit and his spirit comes in and lives within me. There's a date. I, expect, I accepted Jesus Christ April 30th, 1986. I bowed my knee and I asked Christ. I wasn't trusting in any good works. I wasn't trusting in anything but Jesus alone. And I was born again that day. John 3, 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Tonight, I encourage you, if you're like those sailors, turn to God, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You, need, you must be born again. And Christian, your spiritual healing will affect your physical mind and it will only come through being obedient to God. If you're a Christian, you say, Pastor, I know there was a time in my life I was born again. I asked Christ to forgive me of all my sins and be my Savior. You say, Pastor, I know I can give you a Bible reason I know I'm saved. But, you can, but God's desire is if we're in disobedience, 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live under righteousness. I should live unto doing what's right before God, by whose stripes you were healed. God's desire is stop being disobedient and instead be obedient and allow God to lead us and guide us. Jonah still wanted death, but God prepared a fish. He says, Jonah, I'm not done with you yet. There's 120,000 people waiting to hear the message that will rescue their lives. I'm telling you, God loves every person and wants a relationship with them. And if you've never been born again this evening, 
I encourage as we come to the invitation, call out to God, please forgive me of my sins. I understand I've sinned against you, I've rebelled against you, and I need your forgiveness for all my sins. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. And Christian, let's live for Jesus. As we come to the time of invitation, if I could have Mrs. Pat come forward, please. I'm going to challenge you here as the music will play here in just a moment. Cease from the self-help. Cease from the interrogating and critical criticism of others and instead I'm just going to do it God's way. And I'll watch God do things far above what I could ever think or ask. As the music will play this evening, I trust you just bow your head and pray and talk with the Lord. musical play one time through. I just encourage you to pray and talk with the Lord. If you don't know Jesus, you've never been born again. There's not a period or there's not a time in your life where you recognize I trust in Jesus. I'd encourage you to reach out tonight. I'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. You're born again. You're a child of God. You're on your way to heaven. It's not a hope so, I think so. It's a no so. You can know for sure you're God's child this evening. Our dear Heavenly and Gracious Father, I just want to thank you for this evening. Thank you for the challenge from your scriptures. And Father, I, I love you. Lord, so how often are we like these sailors in a self-help? We interrogate others thinking it's someone else's problem. And in the case of them, it was Jonah's problem of a rebellious Christian. Lord, if there's rebellion in our own hearts against you, and Lord, realizing our rebellion hurts other people. I pray we turn from our ways and not hurt others, and Lord, we make it right with you, and Lord, just watch. You do a great thing, and Lord, we just repeat the message that you've given to us that Jesus saves, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that God, you want everyone to be saved. You're not willing that any should perish. Father, help us to be a light for Christ. We love you. We thank you for this evening. May we cease from seeking to please self and instead seek to please Christ. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Wednesday.